This morning we're looking at John chapter 19, verses 17 through to 24, Jesus crucified. So far in John chapter 19, the Lord Jesus Christ, who had been delivered, bound by the chief priests to the Roman governor Pontius Pilate, was scourged. He was beaten, he was crowned with thorns by the Roman soldiers and all of those wicked acts were supervised by Pilate. He was there when those things happened. Despite declaring that he found no fault with Jesus, Pilate nevertheless handed him over to be crucified when in verse 12 the Jews said to him, if thou let this man go, there art, thou art not Caesar's friend, whosoever maketh himself a king, referring to Jesus of course, speaketh against Caesar. You can see that in John 19 and verse 12. Therefore, not, beco- not becoming an enemy of the emperor was more important to Pilate than doing the right thing. Straight away I think, how many of us are guilty of that? We're we're terrified of people. And so we don't do the things that we really ought to be doing because of a fear of men. I'm talking to Christians in here. Coming now to verses 17 and 18. It is written, And he, bearing his cross went forth into a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and two other with him, on either side one, and Jesus in the midst. The sacrificial lamb of God carried his own cross to the place of a skull, which is called Golgotha, in the Hebrew language, and it's also known as Calvary, which comes from the Latin word for skull, Calvaria. That's where we get our word Calvary from. Lovely word, isn't it? Calvary. It means skull. In the past, the Jews executed people by stoning them to death. You can see that uh, in the Old Testament. And they did so outside the camp of Israel. And now in verse 17 we see Jesus carrying his own cross outside the walls of Jerusalem to be executed by crucifixion. Just like a criminal. He wasn't going to be stoned to death. He was going to be crucified out of the camp, outside the city walls. That was the method of execution that was used by the Romans They rejected and treated as a criminal none other than than the incarnate Son of God. This is the Jews. They rejected him. The one who had said in Matthew chapter 23, verse 37, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee. How often would I have gathered thy children together even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. Jesus said those words to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. 
Also, certain Old Testament sacrifices, such as the bullock and the goat that were put to death on the annual Day of Atonement, were burned outside of the camp of Israel. And those sacrifices pointed to a fulfilment in the Lord Jesus Christ. Those animals that were uh, sacrificed and outside the take and their remains taken outside the camp of Israel pointed to Jesus. Even the two thieves who were crucified with the Lord Jesus Christ, they too were a fulfilment of uh, scripture, of prophecy. For example, it is written in the book of Isaiah, chapter 53 and verse 12, that he was numbered with the transgressors. Jesus was numbered with the transgressors. And we see that at the cross, where he was numbered with two thieves, one either side of him. Therefore, as you rightly consider the extent of the wickedness of people, uh, the people who were there at the time, the Jews who were baying for his blood, the Roman soldiers who treated him so cruelly and so on, never lose sight of the fact that the events that were unfolding in these verses and that resulted in Jesus being nailed to a wooden cross were carried out in accordance with the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. It was God who sent his son, his only begotten son into the world to save sinners like you and me through a sinless life and a sacrificial death at the cross that such that we're reading about this morning. God sent his son into the world for this very purpose to lay down his life as an atonement for sin and not forgetting his resurrection from the dead. The whole thing was conceived by God in eternity. Let's have a look at verses 19 through to 22. And Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross. And the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. This title then read, Many of the Jews, for the place where Jesus was crucified was nigh to the city. And it was written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin. Then said the chief priests of the Jews to Pilate, Write not the King of the Jews, but that he said, I am King of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. I want to consider the actual cross for a a short while. What we have translated as cross in our English Bibles comes from a Greek word, storos, which means a stake, a, a stake, a post. Okay? And the Jehovah's Witnesses are taught that Jesus was crucified on a stake on a wooden post, without a crossbeam, although that hasn't always been their teaching. The images in their, publication, in their publications used to depict Jesus with his arms stretched out on a cross. But nowadays they show his hands above his head and secured to a post with one nail hammered through both hands. Is that important? Does it really matter if Jesus was 
nailed to a cross with his arms stretched out on a cross beam or whether his hands were nailed to a stake above his head. Does it really matter to us? Do we, is it important? Well, it should ring alarm bells when uh, a cult changes its teaching. You've got to think to yourself, you've got to ask yourself, why have the, Jehovah, why have the Jehovah's Witnesses, why have they changed all this? That's one thing, first of all. But another thing, what saith the scriptures? Let's see. For one thing, Jesus being nailed to a stake with, uh, is simply not biblical. For example, in Matthew's account of the crucifixion, it is written in Matthew chapter 27 verse 37 that the sign was set up over the head of Jesus. The, the, the title with Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews, it was set up over the head of Jesus. Now, we've probably all seen that, haven't we, in images, various images of Jesus nailed to a cross and the, the title above his head and his arms stretched out, nailed to the cross. Wouldn't it have been more accurate to state that the sign was set up over his hands, not over his head, but over his hands, had Jesus really been nailed to a stake, as the Jehovah's Witnesses claim? I can't be dogmatic about that one, but it seems to make sense that if Jesus was like this on a on a, a post or a stake, then the title would have been above his hands and not a, written above his head. Let's let's um, go further with this. Also, still thinking about the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ, as has already been mentioned. The Jehovah's Witness publications show Jesus with one nail securing both his hands to a wooden stake. You'd see that. I, I've had a look just a couple of days ago of the Jehovah's Witness publications, the images, with one nail securing both hands to a wooden stake. But that clearly contradicts John chapter 20 and verse 25. I'm just going to... Um, Flick over the page and read it to you. This is when Jesus appeared after his resurrection. Jesus appeared in the upper room to his disciples, but Thomas was not there at the time. Thomas wasn't there. And verse 25 tells us, The other disciples therefore said unto him, unto Thomas, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, note that, it's plural, the, the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. So, in the word of God there, we've got, it's written clearly that nails, more than one nail was used to secure the hands of Jesus to the cross. You may think I'm being picky here, but, um, you know, 
I'm just trying to to understand what the what the Word of God actually teaches us. Also, the Jehovah's Witnesses use their lie, as I see it, about how Jesus was crucified to accuse Christians of what? Of idolising a cross. Some people, they have a cross around their neck, little cross around their neck. I don't have an issue with that. I've got a little cross in my wallet on a, on a card, laminated on a card with some nice comforting words on it. I've had it for 20 odd years in my wallet. So, but the, the Jehovah's Witnesses would accuse us of worshipping and idolising a cross. Can you see, it does matter how the Lord Jesus Christ was crucified, especially when the Bible contains information on that subject. We don't just ignore it and say, well, it doesn't matter. The inscription that was set up above the head of the Lord Jesus Christ read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. And it was written in enough languages for the whole world to read and to understand it. It appears from verse 19. Let's have a look at 19 there. Pilate wrote a title and put it on on the cross. And the writing was Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. It appears from verse 19 and also from Matthew's account that the sign was placed there at a time when Jesus was already nailed to the cross. Consequently, when the chief priests saw it being put into place, they protested, they objected most strongly, and they said, write not the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am the king of the Jews. They hated any suggestion that Jesus was king of the Jews. They had rejected him. So maybe Pilate deliberately set out to anger them, to wind them up after, uh, with that sign after they had forced him to condemn a man whom he knew had done no wrong. He'd said it enough times that uh, he'd done no wrong. And still the Jews had applied pressure on him. He caved into pressure And this was just one way that he could get back at the Jews. Note that the writing on the sign is described as a title. We see that in verse 19. It's a title and not a criminal charge, not an accusation, as might ordinarily be expected. The title above the head of Jesus read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Add to that the fact that although both Matthew and Mark's gospel give details of the soldiers taking the purple robe off Jesus prior to his crucifixion, they, they say nothing about the crown of thorns being removed from his head. I'm not saying the crown of thorns wasn't removed from his head, but um, the word of God tells us clearly that the the soldiers removed his robe. Yet it says nothing about the crown of thorns being removed. Can you imagine the fury of the Jews if they saw Jesus not only being uh, displayed 
public displayed now to a cross with that sign above his head, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews, but if he still had that crown of thorns upon his head. Also, Jesus grew up in Nazareth of Galilee. What was the big deal about putting Nazareth on the title, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews? Remember, Pilate ordered that uh, title to be put there above the head of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, you'll get some idea of what the Jews thought about Nazareth if you turn back to chapter 1 and verse 46. This was uh, when Jesus was choosing his apostles right at the beginning of his ministry and we read in verse 46, Nathanael said unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Doesn't really say too much about Nazareth, does it? Or what the Jews thought about Nazareth. The sign that was set up above the head of the Lord Jesus Christ under the orders of Pilate was probably designed to annoy those Jews, the chief priests who had rejected Jesus. Also, when Pilate spoke to Jesus, he had confirmed that he is a king. Maybe that conversation was still ringing in Pilate's ears and in his guilty conscience. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. Day by day, repentant sinners trust, uh, who are trusting in King Jesus for their salvation are being transferred into his kingdom. The hymn writer acknowledged the kingship of Jesus with the words, King of my life, I crown thee now. Thine shall the glory be, lest I forget thy Thorn crowned brow, lead me to Calvary. What about you? Who do you say that the man is who was nailed to a cross between two thieves with a sign above his head with the words, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews, and most probably wearing that crown of thorns upon his head? Who do you say he is? Is he your king? Do you know him as the king of glory? He alone is worthy to be worshipped. No one in this world deserves to be worshipped. Nobody. Every one of us is a sinful creature. But Jesus, he is the king of kings, the Lord of lords. Is he your king? Let's have a look at verses 23 and 24. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts, to every soldier a part, and also his coat. Now the coat was without seam, woven from the top throughout. They said, therefore, among themselves, let us not rend it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which saith, They parted my raiment among them, and for my vesture they did cast lots. These things, therefore, the soldiers did. 
So, what have we got there? The soldiers, they actually engaged in gambling. They were gambling for the Saviour's clothes while he was there. He was still alive, nailed to that cross. No doubt Jesus could see what they were doing when they were gambling for his clothes. That must surely speak volumes about the depravity of the human heart. What a wicked thing to do. Also, as can be seen in verse 24, prophecy was being fulfilled yet again. A thousand years earlier, King David had written the following in Psalm 22, verses 15 through to 18. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaveth to my uh, jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death, for dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. Clearly David was not speaking about himself here. This was prophecy. I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing they cast lots. All of this was predicted a thousand years earlier by David in Psalm 22. Finally, the Bible also speaks of other garments of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not the garments that the soldiers gambled for, but spiritual garments that are received from God. For example, in Isaiah chapter 61 and verse 10 in the Old Testament, it is written, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. This is the garments of salvation, that robe of righteousness. This is speaking of the spiritual garments of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he gives all who are trusting in him. He gives his righteousness, his perfect sinless life is credited to the account of all who belong to him, having trusted in him for the forgiveness of their sins. By his life of perfect obedience to the Lord, his God, remember Jesus, when he came into the world, he was made subject to the law, born of a woman, and he fulfilled the law's demands in life and in death. That belongs to you, that righteousness, if you belong to Jesus. If you're trusting in him. Are you still wearing the filthy rags of your own self-righteousness? Because that's what they are. Filthy rags. That's not my words, that's the words of the Bible. Or are you clothed in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
trusting in him alone for your acceptance before God. Amen.